If you are a startup looking to grow in Cambridge, the Bradfield Centre offers a range of flexible membership packages which put you in control of your office and home working mix. There's a vibrant, collaborative atmosphere, on-site cafe, plenty of green outside space and regular member social events. For more information, visit bradfieldcentre.com or call 01223 919600. Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. Hi, I'm James. And I'm Faye. Chaco Neurotech is a medtech startup working on a system for people with Parkinson's to improve their quality of life. They have developed a device that has seen all the pilot participants improve movement. So let's find out more by speaking to CEO Lucy Jung on today's podcast. First, we have a brand new segment on the podcast. Starting this week, we will bring you a summary of the week's hottest tech headlines to help keep your finger on the pulse of everything that is happening across the Cambridge Tech Cluster. Two companies with links to Cambridge University are headline makers this week, VividQ and TerraView. VividQ has unveiled a major breakthrough that could revolutionise augmented reality gaming. The company is working with Finnish company Displex, which is regarded as the world's top waveguide designer and manufacturer. Duo have released the world's first commercially available 3D waveguide combiner, which is a critical component of an AR optical system, which can display simultaneous variable depth 3D holographic images in the real world. VividQ CEO Darren Milne said, there has been significant investment and research into the technology that can create the types of AR experiences we've dreamt of, but they fall short because they can't live up to even basic user expectations. We've solved that problem and designed something that can be manufactured, tested and proven and established the manufacturing partnership necessary to mass produce them. It is a breakthrough because without 3D holography, you cannot deliver AR. VividQ currently employs 50 people Besides its main office in Cambridge, it also has facilities in London, plus team members in Japan and Taiwan. Founded in 2017, it's raised more than 20 million in VC funding to date, with investors geographically diverse in Japan, Europe and the US. TerraView was spun out of Toshiba and the University of Cambridge back in 2021, and is a pioneer in terahertz technology. TerraView this week opened a US subsidiary in Delaware to further expand into North America. A key market for the company as it looks to gain a foothold in the automotive high-value coatings and semiconductor industries. Some of Cambridge's stock market listed companies have been hit hard in the early part of 2023, with the likes of Darktrace and Frontier Development seeing their values almost halved. One company to buck the trend is Quixen, which posted record revenues for the year to December 31st, 2022. The company provides products principally for the global gaming and broadcast industry, and expects to report full-year revenues of $119 million. That's up 38% year-on-year, the highest revenue performance in the group's history and slightly ahead of market expectations. These news headlines are provided each week by our media partner, Business Weekly. And now, let's meet this week's guest. 
So welcome, Lucy, to Cambridge Tech Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. So we first met at the Business Weekly Awards at the end of last year, um, where you won Woman Entrepreneur of the Year. So congratulations for that. Thank you very much. So what what did that mean to you? Why, you know, was that important for you? And has anything come out of that? I think it was actually really important because it kind of gave me a reflection on what we have achieved over the three and a half years. And when we first started, of like, you know, met tech uh, area of, you know, starting, like, I kind of come in as a really kind of rare kind of entrepreneur um, in this sector, but also being a female. So you kind of, it's one of the things that you kind of forget while you're running the business because you're really busy just doing things. But it kind of gave me a moment to just realize, actually, there are kind of lots of things that we have achieved. And I think, um, you know, Bruno mentioned that I was the youngest um, who had um, actually got this award. So it actually really meant a lot. I, I have it in my office and I kind of reflect on myself about, you know, what we've done. Every day there is a challenge, that, but it kind of gives you encouragement to keep on going, keep on trying. Absolutely. And I think it's also having someone like you as a role model for others mm-hmm. as well. You know, it is a multi-generational um, celebration of people. So, yeah, you were heavily touted as the youngest person to, to have received it. Yeah. Um, so so what, what do you think about your position as a role model as well? I definitely uh, realised over a couple of months, actually, um, there were lots of students who were just about to start a startup who contacted me who are female entrepreneurs saying like, oh, I really just want to get some advice. And I didn't realise it just came across in a conversation because I did a similar course or I, I was, you know, like coming from university background, getting into the entrepreneurship and they kind of feel comfortable of asking me about were there any challenges? And often I kind of say, like, if you believe in it, just go for it. If I did it, you can do it. And one of the things I actually love discussing is my little one, uh, she's a little girl, like uh, she's six years old. And I know there's a lot of conversation around, you know, STEM, like female getting into engineering and entrepreneurship. And she always tells me like, oh, I'm going to come and work with mommy. And like that kind of like, you know, if someone did it, I can do it as well. So I think that is something that I can provide as um, someone did it. So encourage other people as well. Yeah, I think that's really important. Is, is it has it made any impact on the, the profile of candidates applying to work in the company as well? That's actually a really good point. Like when we first started in 2019, we did initially actually get commented by some people saying like, why is it female founder and all the management team are like guys? And at that time, I didn't comment that much because as a small startup, you kind of um, have... People apply for you and then you kind of get in. And then the sector that we are in, in medtech and neurotech area, we were kind of in a position where specific people were kind of looking into our company. But right now, like, like we really naturally became really diverse uh, team. And that is not just gender, but age and like uh, area that we were in, like countries as well. I think we were just sitting um, another day and we realized there were 10 of us, but eight of us were coming from different country and it just really naturally became a diverse company which I think is um kind of authentic growth that we were able to have yeah I guess that's because you're setting a tone and the culture from the top Mm. yeah it's interesting I remember um actually uh lots of coaching sessions that we were able to have through the Cambridge judge and the coaches were actually talking about 
even uh, sending out job description, the mm. tone and the website tone the company uh, shows is actually really important into who applies. Mm. So we really try to keep it neutral, if I may say, like it's for everyone. Well, we are working for Parkinson's and Parkinson's doesn't, you know, discriminate. It's right. like everyone. So I think that's kind of key thing. We are together, you know, we are people, not we are this and that. So I think it's great, great insights there. And I think we could have a whole conversation about being a woman in business. But let's let's move on and let's talk about Charco Neurotech now. Absolutely. So you've been going three and a half years. There's around 30 of you. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about the shape of the company? Of course, absolutely. So um, Charco started in 2019. It originally came up from a university project from Imperial and Royal College of Art. We were studying about neuromodulation and Parkinson's to improve the movement using focus stimulation and queuing. Uh, so we started with a medical device. And naturally, there are like our co-founder is clinician. I'm a, a design engineer, meaning that our team really naturally grew from team members who are in regulatory, clinical, um, uh, engineering, development, manufacturing, designers, um, and lots of community support, which is actually one of the most important parts of our company because we developed the device. We make sure that it's useful for people with Parkinson's to start with, need lots of clinical efficacy regulation so we are now about 34 of us really ranging from I think uh, lots of university placement students actually and uh, lots of our management team meaning like C levels are actually just straight out from the university though it's been three and a half years so but um, it's been an incredible journey we are a small team, but we actually work with a lot of partners. We work with, you know, the coaches that I mentioned, lots of institutions support. Eastern Assam, we were able to work with them a lot. So we were very lucky to have the UK startup ecosystem supporting Sharko's journey. So can you delve a little bit deeper into the actual product itself? You say it's a device. So, you know, for the, for the listeners, could you kind of describe that device and maybe the kind of technology and the science behind it? Absolutely. So it is a wearable medical device that is non-invasive. It uses medical adhesive to sit on a sternum. It's just one button press and it is intentionally designed that way to make it easy for people with Parkinson's to use. So they press the button and it delivers stimulation that is combining focus stimulation and cueing phenomena. And now these two phenomena have been studied like since 19th century, actually. Um, uh, father of neurologist, uh, uh, Charcot, actually first realized that when people come to him on a carriage ride rather than him going to them, realized that people have improvement in uh, symptoms. What he realized was that bumpy road that was giving stimulation. Right. And since then, there were lots of studies around whole body stimulation, focus stimulation, other stimulation to see what is it that is helping um, Parkinson's symptoms. Well, now they're seeing is through the studies by delivering particular stimulation that we are developing is actually showing the uh, um, change in their beta oscillation of the brainwave that is increased for people with Parkinson's, but it's reducing it to allow them to actually uh, have a reduction, especially with stiffness, slowness and gait issues. So um, freeze of gait, for example. 
What's now really interesting is mentioned that um, our team have a lot of like researchers. We are like R&D company. Mm-hmm. And now there are over 300 people using the device because we have launched the device. We're learning more from the community members, so people with Parkinson's who are currently using the device, who are saying that when they're using it in this way and that way, depending on their profile, how it's more useful. So our device have a, um, if I may say, almost like an MVP out there uh-huh. to help people. But we are also learning a lot by getting the devices out there. And we are always reading literatures to support the um, further understanding of this neuromodulation in a non-invasive way. So very exciting uh, and time for everyone, I guess, like academia and patients and everyone. So lots to study more. So it sounds like it's field trial stage for the device itself. Uh, What about the placement on the body? Is that something that you've decided on that is the place that the the uh, the device needs to be placed or are you also experimenting with like where the wearable would be on the body because i'm thinking ahead to things like apple watches for example mm-hmm. or other technology that you might be wearing is there mm-hmm. a, is there a future where it could be integrated into other devices definitely really great question we actually studied a lot of positioning of the device so um literatures were looking into having it behind their back or on their leg and arms like lots of places as mentioned and there are lots of studies. But actually what Sharko was able to see is when it sits on a sternum, and I have to say it's not most convenient place because we have to use medical adhesive rather than strap. Um, but it was showing much more benefit when it was improving the, um, the movement symptoms, basically. And there are lots of kind of uh, hypotheses that we bring in, but it's more likely where if you actually wear the device on a sternum, you can actually feel the stimulation going across your rib cage, right. and you can actually feel it across your body. And what we are realizing is that we, because it has a medical adhesive, they can actually place it in lots of other um, um, body uh, areas. And we do actually encourage people saying like, please feel free to like try in other uh, places, but actually, majority of people comes back to the sternum and they use it on the sternum. Mm. And it's a combination of not only effectiveness, um, it is helping more. The second thing is actually the usability. So for people with Parkinson's to be able, you know, like if there's a button on their leg for them to, you know, sit down to press it, it's just not convenient. But it's a very natural movement for us to bring our hand over to sternum um, and press the button to get their help. So it's a combination of effectiveness and usability of the device that we got to the sternum. Interesting. So you, you have the device, but you also have the app uh, yes. that goes with So do you want to talk us a little bit about the app, what it does, the technology behind it? Absolutely. So how did we even start building that application? We as uh, Sharko, we have a philosophy of authentic approach to what we want to show our people. And because we are all kind of coming from research background, what we really wanted to understand is longer term effectiveness of the device. With a very early stage of immediate effectiveness, it was showing a great you know, improvement. But we wanted to make sure that it is a longer-term effectiveness for people with Parkinson's to continuously use. Um, so that's how we kind of started developing the application of actually tracking the symptoms of Parkinson's to see uh, the change in their movement using the Q1 device. Really interestingly, lots of people with Parkinson's and clinicians were saying like, look, like these data are actually really helpful for us as well to track the symptoms. And what they were mentioning, which um, always stays with me, is 
Um, they go see their clinician. People with Parkinson's go see their clinician, depending on the country, but about six to 12 months. And when they go see the clinicians in that 10 to 20 minutes, that does not represent their whole story of lots of symptoms and day-to-day difference and, you know, even time-to-time because depending on their medication time, they can be in um, really different status. So we developed the application to actually do our research, but actually became really useful tool for people with Parkinson's and clinicians to track the symptoms so that we can optimize their care. So what we're doing is uh, we are collecting the data that is not only useful for people with Parkinson's, but for the clinicians as well, so that if there is any you know change that they have to have, for example, medication dosage or like a physiotherapy um, classes, then we can uh, kind of give them more insight into day-to-day life of people with Parkinson's. Interesting. Does, does it record, I mean, obviously you've got the frequency of usage and times, etc. Does it record the severity of attack as well or, or you the, the tremor to severity or things like that? Great question. So we are Q1 is named as a Q1 because there is a lot of Q1 plus Q2 device that we are developing. And at the moment, Q1 is quite fairly relatively uh, like um, minimal viable product where it delivers stimulation. What we are though recording is actually how they're using, like how long are they using the device and also uh, the stimulation that they're using through the application. So it's a hybrid way of collecting the data to develop Q1 plus and Q2. Mm. So what we are doing with the other devices that are coming is actually built in sensors and so on that is actually looking into what kind of symptoms that they have. And it's a closed loop. It will provide the stimulation that is suitable for you. So it's a really uh, great uh, way for us because the devices are now out there and people are constantly inputting how they're using the um, device and we can actually see this uh, symptoms and stimulation and correlating those data to um, have better understanding and um, provide, uh, you know, like a better version of the Q2 device. Yeah. So you say it's in the hands of about 300 uh, people right now in terms of trials. So what does your product, I mean, without really, you know, revealing anything too sensitive, what does that product roadmap look like over the next, you know, I don't know, 18, 24 months? Yeah, great question. So we are actually scaling up the manufacturing. So we have a waiting list of over 9,000 people. Wow, okay. Yeah, so, and that has like, we barely did any marketing. We're actually trying to now get there because what we, it naturally grew by people with Parkinson's using the device and showing it to their local groups. And they are the ones who comes to us we heard about this like can you come and tell us more Mm. about it Um, but the reason why we didn't do too much marketing is because we were scaling up the manufacturing we already had 9,000 people waiting you know and we didn't want them to always wait so now we're getting into mass production which is really exciting we are getting more devices out there and now we will actually get into um, more data collection as yeah. mentioned and yeah. really speeding up with this uh, q1 plus and q2 obviously it's not like q1 comes out and then six months later we will have next product because there's a lot of research and um, like clinical trials that we have to do but at the moment we are really positive after seeing hundreds of people using it um, of the feedback that we're getting so you've got nine thousand people waiting mm-hmm. out of interest what's the size of the parkinson's population in the uk yes of course so um 
it's currently 145,000 people in the UK. There are 10 million people around the world. So it is unfortunately fastest growing neurodegenerative condition in the world. Right. So the thing is for the 9,000, it's actually like about 3,500 in the UK and about 3,500 in the US. So we are working really hard to get into US because there are lots of people waiting there as well, as well as the um, global um, area. So... um, at the moment, uh, there are like, um, what other things can people look into? There are lots of research and academia kind of looking into this, but there is actually, Shako have been actually looking into this device, not from 2019. We've been studying this from 2014. So the knowledge that we were able to build throughout testing the stimulation in different frequency and amplitude and so on, it's really a big know-how that we were able to build. The other thing that I have to say that we are extremely grateful of is all the academia who've been actually studying this joined Shako's journey. So we have movement specialists who've been studying this um, focus stimulation for a very, very long time who joined us as a science advisory board and also Parkinson's specialists joining us. And we are combining this synergetic movement to like in an aim to really understand this technology and the uh, mechanism of action. So it is a... I really kind of feel like there is so many mutual uh, kind of goal that we have mm. to really bring something that can help people with Parkinson's. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we are at at the moment. And a great validation of the work you're doing. Exactly. So like yeah. someone asked me, like, um, uh, is there a clinical trial going? And I was like, where do we start? There's like global effort. Like we were just preparing a um, couple in the US. Uh, we're just starting some in the UK. There are lots of case studies is already out there. You'll be able to see them on our um, website as well. Uh, really great thing is they're working together. So some people are using uh, our device to look into gait improvement. Some people are looking into bradykinesia. Some people are looking into actual bra- um, brain oscillation change. So it's a really great um, effort that we are getting together and then like how can we study it in a more effective way. Thank you for all that. I mean, it's it's really exciting um, what you're doing and great insights into your your journey and the evolution as well. And um, you you talked about you've not done too much marketing. I have to say, as a marketing person, you know I love what you're doing because your feed is full of you with the device on the the dashboard of your car driving somewhere and it's like it's a gift you know it's like you really get that that you talked about authenticity mm. you really get that feel now obviously as you grow to thousands and goodness knows how many devices you won't probably won't be able to do that but I think that authenticity really does come out mm, definitely thank you so much and uh, I have to say like when we first started um, lots of people were saying when you're scaling you won't be able to do hand delivery and I was talking with our um, team members and our team members as mentioned are there with like a kindest heart and I was talking with our supply chain manager and our uh, chief operating officer and I said guys this is all about Shaco we shouldn't stop this because we have to be really close to community all the time and actually, we did come up with the model where it does work. It was quite complicated. It was almost like a, you know, like a whole plan of the, our UK map. And we are constantly looking at how can we make it more wise to deliver the devices. So we do have an option. So people can either go for hand delivery or they can ask for a career delivery. But actually, more than half, like despite them having to wait, they are preferring us coming to them because that's what they want. It's a care that we want to give them. The 
device have been actually designed in a heart to, this is a Christmas present. Um, it's a present for people with Parkinson's and the care that we want to give comes along with hand delivery. And the way that we model out everything is to allow that hand delivery to happen. So now uh, we have actually Parkinson's nurses joining us because they actually have a great understanding of visiting them. So we are basically working on our whole structure and process and business model to make sure that that is um, we scale with the care, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And you know, you're going your target market get together. They're the Parkinson communities, so you're going where where they are. So that, that you know that's perfect. So I want to pick up you. You, you talked about your background earlier on um, around design engineering. Mm. So how much did you personally have to have a say in the design of the actual device? That's a great question. Uh, interesting enough, we were actually having a discussion that we don't actually have a CTO. <laughs> and I think that's because I do come from a design engineering uh, background. And yes, I am like, you know, like now running the company, meaning that there's lots of things that we have to do. But actually, when it comes to design of the device with the technology that kind of goes in. Um, it's like our engineering team, you know, electronic uh, engineers, pharma engineers working on it. So we do work with a product development company as well. But when it comes to design, um, I do actually input a lot and also social media photos and everything. But instead of me doing everything, now we get together with designers and I kind of talk with them about why we want to design things in this way. So for example, even the ribbon, uh, what's the language that we want to give them? So do I actually do all the illustration and 3D modeling and 3D printing by myself now? No, I don't. But I talk with them about the language and voice and tone and the brand image that Shaco has so we can basically let team members understand that and then we can spread that around. And they're much better now. <laughs> <laughs> the, the team as well, you talk about them an awful lot. You have done, you know, throughout, throughout the podcast. Um, you've also invested quite a lot of time in placement um, students as well. Is that part of the ethos? Oh, definitely. So placement students are actually like something I really, really value. And I have to say, it kind of comes from personal uh, view as well. So when I was really like just starting university, I kind of went into everything like product design agency. I went into marketing, space marketing, and like I did lots of different kind of internship and it really helped me understand what kind of things I want to do in the future. Um, so I worked in like different sectors. And whenever we bring a placement student, I actually asked them, what do you want to do at Sharko? I know that you studied this, but uh, do you want to have experience in other sectors? And that's one of the things I feel like it's kind of, uh, again, Shaka's philosophy that we want people to work on what they really, really love. Because I really believe in people at Shaka need to love their work to make them happy so that they can spread that happiness to people with Parkinson's. So although it's, uh, you know, like challenging as the team grows, it's something that I really want to focus on. The team is happy. So they're learning um, as they work and they're constantly working on something that they love so that we can constantly improve ourselves. So I kind of try to ask them, like, what do you think about what we're currently doing? Do you think there's any improvement that we can make? Um, and that's kind of active discussion that we always have um, as a team. You mentioned the original idea started at Imperial. Uh, we're obviously the Cambridge Tech Podcast and your company's in Cambridge. So... Talk us through why you're in Cambridge and um, what kind of support you've had from the Cambridge ecosystem. Absolutely. So um, we started our research in London Imperial and Royal College of Arts. I actually um, somehow 
like moved to Cambridge at that time and I needed a space to work. So we applied for Cambridge Judge Business School and I decided to move to Cambridge. So we were two founders, uh, myself again as a design engineer and a medic, meaning that we had to learn a lot about business. Mm. So when we actually joined Cambridge Judge Business School, that was incredible support from the coaches introducing us to the right people. They actually helped us go through the contract and really like almost teaching us about what kind of things that we have to look for um, in the like even finance, cash flow and every single bit. So I lived in Cambridge Judge Business School. Like I was working with uh, coaches all the time to get their advice. We were able to raise funds from Cambridge really quickly as well because of the whole ecosystem. Mm. Eastern Asan, as mentioned, also really supported us at that early stage. At early stage, that kind of help um, is incredibly like important. So this is one of the things that I really tried to give back to the startup ecosystem at that early stage. These kind of little, um, it may be like one hour for them, but the change that it makes to the business is really, really incredible. So we moved to Cambridge and we also got lots of grants from the university in Santander where they grant um they gave a grant to um, hire people from Cambridge University. Mm. So we actually have quite a lot of Cambridge University students as well. Uh, we have, uh, uh, as mentioned, we've got Amadeus uh, um, VC who joined the round. Yeah. We've got Oxbridge Angels. So yeah. the whole ecosystem that we were able to build, uh, use um, while we were here was incredible. One thing that I cannot miss out about the special ecosystem that um, Cambridge have is the Founders Network. So the founders in Cambridge is really close. So we kind of mostly know each other. And there are like different groups where depending on your stage of um, startup and also the sector you're in, mm. we're easily able to kind of jump in and ask about, oh, have you tried this? Did you like work with this consultancy? Is there any advice that you have when hiring and so on? Became such an incredible, like almost like a whole city is university as exactly it's a startup university as well so i think that was the key reason why we moved here and we're building uh the company here so we still have lots of team members coming from london and we do travel a lot back to london to do business but um that kind of t uh, combination of two ecosystem was just a massive acceleration for us I like it how you just slipped in there. We raised some funding. You actually raised the biggest seed raise for the year for the UK, the sixth largest globally at, at the amount of 10 million just at the, the end of 2022. So congratulations on that. You know, very significant. And you, you've mentioned the, the VCs that are supporting that. I guess two questions is this now the time for medtech devices? Do you think we've got to that level of development now that medtech devices are really, really coming to the fore? And how do you feel about it being, you know, we started the podcast talking about you personally, and now you've got such a significant round. How do you feel about that? I think that's a really great question. So uh, we, when we started and then there's a COVID hitting and everything, there were actually a lot of funding that was going into medtech, biotech and so on, really naturally. What I'm hearing these days is that, like, you know, it's much more difficult to raise 
at current stage. However, when the sector founders get together and their business are running and doing well, actually, they don't seem to see that much of difficulties because what we always kind of say is at the end of the day, there are funding out there. And if your company is, you know, like creating a value and they are visionary and the team is performing well, there's always funding that you can look for. So I have to say, Is it uh, like what's kind of happening in the uh, funding uh, sector in the startup? I have to say, if you're building something that is viable, you know, it is uh, changing the game, basically, then you won't have too much of problem is what I'm mentioning. In terms of the biotech and medtech area, I think medtech, um, we specifically actually looked for investors who really understood what medtech means because medtech is not like a one-year, three-year kind of exit kind of thing at all. Like there is lots of, um, you know, research and uh, regulations and everything that we have to go through. So our investors, which I'm proud of, um, really understand deep tech and medtech sector and they're able to understand what's the pathway, what are the challenges and what's the timescale that we're looking into. And I think that is really, really important for a startup like ourselves, for the investors to also understand what we are trying to do. So when we are raising funds, every time we got onto call with investors, we really try to articulate our vision of we really want to improve um, the healthcare system along with the intervention that we're developing. It's not three five-year kind of um, done game. It's a really long development and research that we want to get into. In terms of how did it change from uh, early stage to now getting a bit of funding in the sector, I have to say it's been such an incredible uh, journey. Like we got we are getting busier, busier every day, although there are more people. But I think it's actually a good thing that we are busy because there's constantly like things that we are doing and improvement that we are making through the time. We were able to get uh, incredible traction and people's interest getting along well. So this ecosystem almost grew like globally. So now we've got actually an entity in South Korea as well, which we are focusing on the um, manufacturing side of the things. Now we're getting onto US as well. There are lots of interest from US with clinical um, studies as well as patients waiting for the device. So now we're kind of getting into this global shark growth, if I may say. You're doing a lot of travel. Yes, I am. <laughs> I, I, don't, I feel like half of this year I've been like just traveling. But as I mentioned um, very early on in the podcast about you know, Shakul is all about people. Like it's it's not a small group that we are working for. It's really uh, global. So actually understanding each healthcare system was really important for us to get like wider view. So I think it's been a really great learning journey for all of us at Shakul. It's great. Significant progress in three and a half years. And, and we can't wait to see what happens next. Um, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been great talking to you. Not at all. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show.